Welcome to this episode of Bob Cooney's VR Deep Dive Podcast. In this series, Bob connects you with some of the leading innovators and thinkers in location-based VR. And we're live. It is uh, Bob Cooney, but you know that, and I think you know this guy, Charlie Fink, back for a second webinar. We must have done okay with the first one. I didn't piss you off enough. You came back. Yeah, I, I was going to say the same thing to you. <laughs> so um, I want to apologize. Kevin Williams um, was going to join us today as well, and they moved his flight up, and he couldn't, um, and he couldn't make it. He's literally boarding the plane right now. But I did have a conversation with him before, and he gave me a few things to pass along to the audience. So um, from my app of Paris, Charlie, thanks for joining, man. Sure, my pleasure. So how's Los Angeles treating you? You just uh, well, it's finally the heat wave has broken, and it's you know beautiful in the high seventies today. So it's pretty nice here. The move has been harder than I thought from New York because. I mean, you know, we're trying to downsize and we're taking 25 pounds of shit and pouring it into a five pound bag. The other thing is for better or worse, we bought kind of a fixer, but it's exhausting. You know, so many of the basic home systems don't even work, but you know, there's a broken window. I mean, there's just a lot of, before you even start thinking about renovating, you have to take care of all these little things because we're going to live with that for a year before anything is really seriously renovated in this house. So it's been emotionally draining. It's been physically packing and, and moving is physically draining. I mean, it's, I, I, you know, I'm almost 60 years old. I would not want to do it again. I have to do it. Every, um, I do it every five days, but I've I know, I know, but you owe yourself fits into a couple of suitcases. And I have to say, you know, although in my fantasies, I want to live like that. It was awfully nice to see, you know, all of my VR stuff and my guitars and computers, you know, come off that truck and get back to work. Yeah. So I think one of the, the bad things is that, you know, my wife isn't working and uh, or she's retired. And so a lot of the move is falling onto her as it naturally would have anyway. And of course, once I got my computers running, I'm back at work. So, uh, you know, that's also kind of exhausting and, and never seem to be able to catch up. I just got back from uh, Enterprise Technology Wearable Summit in Dallas, which was a, a enterprise-focused event. And uh, it was really interesting. As I've been saying, I think that many people's exposure, first exposure to VR will come in the workplace and in public places through LBVR over the next five years. Yeah. So uh, it's, it's interesting to see the industrial trend starting to accelerate and scale, you know, because millions of people in the workforce will be using VR and AR every day, you know, in the coming years, and it'll be tens of millions. So, and it, was, and it was, look, it was the precursor to the smartphone, which was the BlackBerry, right. right? And everybody had a BlackBerry. Mm -hmm. And what that did is it... And it was the precursor to the PC. People were seeing PCs in retail before they ever contemplated having one in their home. Yeah, and what the BlackBerry taught us is that we could get access to the internet away from our desk. And then once we realized that that's possible, we wanted it all everything. the time. And then when the web happened, we're like, why, why can't I get email? Why can't I get the web? Right. And the iPhone happened, it changed everything. Yeah. And so all of this stuff often happens at work. And yeah, I yeah. totally agree with you. And again, it happens in public places because you know those places not only can provide the amount of space you need for a meaningful VR experience, but they also can provide the presence of other people. Which, you know, and presence and, and being social in VR 
uh, as you know, is a very important part of the experience. Yeah, and Damon just said, you know, one of the things he's noticed is a lot of exposure to VR is coming from mobile VR. I think that's past. I think that, and that's a bad experience. And yeah. I think in the very early stages, that's what was happening. I think mobile VR as a consumer product is changing now. And we're going to talk about the Quest today because that's the new definition of mobile VR. And yeah. it's not, it doesn't suck. By the way, yeah, no, pretty great. Iris thought I'd, uh, I would cheer to everybody for joining. Just We just passed with this webinar 600 subscribers to this webinar series. And so I want to- Wow, here you go. Many people getting a lot of great lessons at the foot of the master. Yeah, no, I just want to, I just want to, you're too kind. So thank you guys all for sharing and, and for the feedback that I get. And, and it's gotten a little weird. I was walking down the trade show today and some guy from Saudi Arabia stopped me in the aisle and wanted to take a selfie with me. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, welcome to my world. You're nerd famous now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man so um well i thought the plan here was i was going to interview you i love that i have been in paris from los angeles because honestly i have a terrible case of fomo and i'm dying to hear about what you saw yeah so i talked to i did talk to kevin williams and he did a i think he did a count and it was 60 something companies showing vr at IAPA Paris. And IAPA Paris is a Is it as big as IAPA in the US? Because there was something like in Orlando. Third to half the size. And so if you extrapolate that to what we might see in Orlando, I'm expecting well over a hundred companies showing virtual reality products in Orlando, which will be up from 80 something last year. And it keeps getting better. Like there was a lot of good shit on the floor this time. And and three years ago, there was some stuff and most of it was bad. And two years ago, there was more stuff and some of it was okay. And then last year, we started seeing some like, wow, there's a lot of decent stuff. And now this year, it's all actually, there's a lot of good stuff happening. And there's so much of it, it's confusing people. And that's the so, that's a yeah. big challenge right now is it's so confusing. What do you buy? Right. And it's all priced very competitively. So and the floor, it's not a financial decision. Yeah. And so look, and so the big thing, I'm just going to cut to it, is there were a bunch of companies showing Oculus Quest-based multiplayer solutions. And I've been writing and blogging and, and telling people one-on-one to just be careful about building a solution based on Quest because the Oculus Terms of Service and the Business Edition specifically excluded arcade use. And uh, yeah, and so what, in essence, Oculus, by being silent on the Quest licensing, we're setting up entrepreneurs potentially for failure. And so mm-hmm. I got word today from Oculus uh, that mm-hmm. they're going to be announcing next week at OC6 that they're going to include arcade licensing in the Quest Business Edition. They're going to be giving tools for solution providers to control the guardian system, which is what mm-hmm. stopping people from doing free roam. And that platform will be available in Q4. And so that's going to change the economics of the whole because in past, there were a, a bunch of companies showing quest solutions for as little as $30,000 for a four player system where, you know, Hologate's been dominating the market at, you know, a hundred thousand dollars. And, you know, now all of a sudden you're talking about, you know, I, I, was, I was seeing turnkey solutions for 30 grand, 35, 40 grand. And so right. it's half the price, less than half the price. Yeah. yeah. Well, that was that was inevitable. And when the Quest has meaningful multiplayer experiences that you can organize yourself, 
with three friends or four friends or eight friends, it could have a potential impact on LBDR. And you're talking about the consumer market, obviously, right? Yeah. So I'm, eating some, I'm also eating some Belgian chocolates that were brought to me by a client at the show. So nice I'm chocolate. I'm virtually tasting it. Yeah. So like, look, the consumer market still isn't happening, right? We're not seeing any, are you seeing any, any indicators that Quest is being successful in the consumer Yeah. Market? The indicators are that they yeah. can't keep Quest in stock. I have a that could be supply chain. Like who the fuck knows what that means? Is that like, what is that actually? Well, I mean, if you go to Amazon, let's see how long the wait is. There was a wait a while ago. Because when Go released, it sold out, right? And then yeah. in two months, it fell off a cliff. So you had all the fanboys, the VR fanboys, and all the developers, and you know they put in their orders, and everybody that's a VR enthusiast got Go, and then nobody else bought one. And I'm just wondering, but you you're not you haven't seen any numbers published yet, have you? No, they don't publish the numbers. Um, let's see what the deal is with the Quest. No, it's available. You can get it in one day for three ninety nine. And so, anyway, I, I just don't know. I'm just curious. I'm waiting to see some numbers. And- I think, well, first of all, very often these companies don't report numbers. Uh, HTC has never reported numbers. PlayStation has because they think the numbers are good, but they have not been really seeing insanely good growth, so now they're not doing it anymore. Yeah. And, and, um, and that's, and- that's what Samsung did, right? They were like, oh, my God, we've sold 5 million Gear VRs, then they never made another peak. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And look, and Samsung is going to come out with a new VR this year. And uh, what do you, do you know anything about that? I do not. Okay. Yeah. So I don't either, other than it's supposed to be a, Kevin Williams calls it a quest killer, whatever that means. Well, I mean, it would be great if there were more standalone devices. I was kind of disappointed to learn that the Vive Cosmos is not a standalone device, but it's a tethered device. Yeah. Well, Pico's coming out with the Neo 2 in November, and that's going to be built on the Qualcomm 845 chipset, which is a generation. That's the newest one, right. And they're going to be building a module for hand tracking and, and a bunch of stuff on top of it. And so I think that product is going to come out in November, and hopefully they're going to, or maybe even October. So that's well, cool. all this is good news for LBVR because it means that prices are coming down. Yeah. But it also is a you know causes me to to bring up the cautionary tale of what happened to LBVR in the nineties because the home kind of caught up with us technologically, mm-hmm. and at the same time, you know, the public's imagination went to the internet. So uh, there are similar risks today. And that's why I think they're building, you know, I think, I think location-based entertainment is about social experiences. It's becoming more mm-hmm. and more so. And so the locations, the arcades, and when I say VR arcade, it's the ones that are running basically room-scale Vive systems. The ones that have been ses- successful have built those around areas where people could gather and have social. So here in Paris, there's a place called Elucity, and it's a 10,000-square-foot VR park, for a better term. And it's owned by a company called Imagis. And Imagis is the distributor, they're the largest distributor, I believe, of equipment and services to the movie theater industry globally. So their claim to fame was when motion picture projection went to digital, none of the movie theater operators wanted to pay for it. And so it was stuck. And what they did was they came out and said, fine, we'll finance it. And they put together a financing package and it just swept through and now everything's digital distribution and digital projection. And so now they're looking and incubating 
this elucidity to try to figure out what makes sense in movie theaters for people. Right, as they shed dreams. I froze. What goes in their place? And so what they're doing is, so the place in Paris is 10,000 square feet, but it's only about 3,500 square foot of actual attraction and 6,000 square foot of common area and place for groups to come and people to hang out and socialize. And and we were talking about, they said- That's, they, that's they, what your big circus does. Exactly, though that one's a bit under attraction, I think, right? I mean, they need more stuff there to do, but- They're gonna iterate their way to the right balance. Those are some pretty smart guys. Super, super smart guys. I, to I totally agree with you. And so I think that the VR stuff has to be continue to build around social experiences. And if mm -hmm. they do that, as VR happens in the home, and whether that happens in just five, I don't know. It's going to happen eventually. I think it's further out than most people expect. When yeah, that happens and people are more isolated, they're going to continue to crave that social connection. And that's where out-of-home entertainment is going to continue. Well, that's the theory. That's the theory, yeah. I got my chips on that one. A few chips. Yeah. We thought we could harness the internet to help us avoid the fate of non internet companies, but it didn't work. Yeah. <laughs> so a couple of comments here, um, and this is you know also for the replay guys who don't get to see the comments. A lot of people watch this on replay. Um, Damon's is a major thing I've noticed uh, with introducing Quest to some of the customers. The number one statement they say is, it's like getting a console for VR. And I think that's what Quest and Oculus is hoping for, but I'm gonna challenge that. So when I buy an Xbox or a PlayStation and I buy a console that comes, I think it still comes bundled with one controller, right? And for 40 bucks, I can buy another controller or two or three or four, and we can play together. With a Quest, if I wanna play with my friends, it's 400 bucks a pop. Like, so I still think that people wanna play games together. And I'm not sure how that plays out. I'd love your opinion on that one. Well, we shall see. I mean, it depends partly on the quality of the home systems and partly on the quality of their content. And it may be that that's good enough, that Vader Immortal is good enough to make you say when you're outside the void, well, I just did Vader Immortal on the quest. I don't need to do Star Wars at the void. Yeah. Just a competing theory. And by the way, if anybody has a quest and you have not done Vader Immortal, you're really missing out on one of the best character-based narrative storytelling VR experiences that you can have in an arcade or really anywhere. So, you know, hats off to ILMX Lab for really succeeding. And I, I would say it's, it's among what I would call the definitive pioneering works of VR along with Alan Met from uh, Eugene Chang and Penrose Studios, mm -hmm. uh, which is free for um, almost all devices on Steam. And I think there was there was hope that 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 Vader Immortal would become a bit of a system seller, and I feel like Oculus has done a horrible job of promoting it. You're not seeing it in the media. They couldn't. Yeah, I, I, that one is a bit of a, a head scratcher because you know what I did. You know, I got the quest and I needed to review it like the next day, so I did like you know ten minutes of twenty things, including Vader Immortal, and then I wrote about it. Sorry, people, but that's that's what happens sometimes when you're writing and. Uh, and so then I packed it up for the move, right? So I finally get it out again. I'm like, oh, this is great. And I put it on and, you know, I'm looking at the library. It's like, oh, yeah, I never finished Vader Immortal. So let me go do that. And it was 40 minutes of astonishment. And it just got better and better as you did it. 
You and could that swear. There's two more episodes coming, right? Right. And you could swear that the robot companion, I forget what their name is, that's played by, uh, who is Whoopi Goldberg or somebody, it's, it is not only hilarious and extraordinarily well written, but you really believe, you suspend your disbelief and you start to believe in their sentience. It's crazy. Yeah. And, you know, you can't do that experience and not say, oh, yeah, this is the future. Of yeah, 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 absolutely. Uh, so, you know, more experiences like that would, I think, challenge the best the arcades on a content basis. And, you know, people guard their pennies jealously. I think that in that sense, Dreamscape kind of has the right idea using the motion and everything. Uh, you know, I know Hologate just introduced some motion platforms you know, and these are things you'll never have at home. And there's a question about Hologate Blitz and, and you know, they just announced they're pricing at around 200 grand for a four. Right, and you've got Omni Arena, which is based on competition. Yep. Right, that is the whole idea of the Omni system. Were they at the show? They were not at the show. They haven't, they're um, focusing on the North American market this year. And then I think next year they'll be going to Europe. So. They, they do a very good job of staying in your face which is really, really important for people who are marketing, you know, um, platforms that they yeah, want to sell, you. To, you know, to third parties. Uh, so, you know, you've got to really be visible to those third parties where they are. I think all again, you know, has done a terrific job of that. They're just everywhere. As I'm sure VR Studios was there. You know, they're, you know, uh, well, very... I got a little video montage of some of the stuff I took that I'm going to play. Um, oh, cool. Let's, well, one of the things that w I didn't get the video of that I want to talk about, because you talk about these great experiences, you talk about Dreamscape, which has always been one of my favorites. Repetition is their challenge. Yeah. Because, and, you know, in L.A. and New York and London and some of these places where they're building them, the same thing with The Void, you have enough new foot traffic to offset your weak group sales and your weak repeat player statistics. But if you go into a smaller city, even a large size small city, like let's say Kansas City, Missouri or, or Tampa, yeah. you're dead without group sales and repeat play. Yep. So we'll see what happens. I'm sure if Dreamscape goes in there with AMC and doesn't succeed, we'll be the last to know. But I think those, the, Audience and success metrics when you're in Times Square are very different than your audience and your success met, uh, methods when you're in Passaic Mall. Yeah, totally. Or Paramus Mall. And so anyway, so I played at Elucidity, this place I was telling you about. I played an experience called Toyland. And so Toyland was amazing. It was done by Backlight, which is the company that did Eclipse, which is kind of a four-player escape room with a hap mm -hmm. haptic floor and... You're in a space station and you're trying to get through it. But this particular attraction was was produced by Elucidity and developed by Backlight. And it's one of the best VR experiences I've done hands down. And the things, and so it was, it was basically you're going in, you're a toy, you're a team of toys, and you're going in to defeat the evil giant monkey and his toy minions. And you start out in a seat, in a, in a D-Box seat, and there's six players, it's running on HCC Vive, six-player Vive setup, Lighthouse, and you sit in a D-Box seat, and you're in a helicopter, and it's vibrating, and the sergeant comes out, he got, does his sergeant toy shit, and then you land, and you get out of the seat, and you do a free roam experience, then you get back in the seat, now the seat's a car, and it's taking you, and then you get out, and it's this multimodal between a seated motion simulator 
in really short increments. So you never get motion yeah. sickness. Nomadic does that really well with their um, with the helicopter piece. Yeah, yeah with the the helicopter ride. And and, the, and you know the, the train at the beginning is awfully effective yeah. as well. Yeah, and so this is 30 minutes, 25 minutes. I never understood how we couldn't go out of the train we came in on, but the helicopter is <laughs> way cooler. <laughs> the helicopter is way cooler. Why not? Why did we come in on this thing? Yeah. <laughs> and so I thought this thing was was amazing, and it's that multimodal experience yep. of, of going from a seated emotion sim to a free roam and then back and forth and back and forth again was amazing. And so to me, by far the hit of my trip to Paris – and one of the best VR experiences I've done. The art direction was amazing. It was a combination of 3D and 2D. So like you shoot the gun and the little gun splat effects were in 2D in cartoon, but everything else was in 3D. The music was great. Um, the voice acting was great. The story was great. And so if you get to Paris, um, check out Elucidity and play Toyland. And I think they're going to try to license that out to other locations. And, and I think we'll see it prol proliferate next year. That's the end of part one of this interview. Please join us for parts two and three shortly.